We're also excited about this brand new series called The Unexpected. It is a series where we are inviting people to come back to church. A lot of times during the new year, people say, hey, I'll give church you know, another try. But when they come to church, they might expect sort of the same old stuff, right? Just like the story that was shared from this family earlier, they might come to church expecting judgment, harshness, um, uh, just this critical sort of mentality and rules and regulations. But if they come and, and join us here at Rancho, they will experience something unexpected. A community of love, of grace, of humility, thoughtfulness, engagement, optimistic, and even fun. And uh, so that's what it's about. It's an open arms invitation for our community to come back to church and really enjoy the kind of grace-based community that Jesus envisioned. So we're going to start this series with dominoes. Uh, our family is very much obsessed with board games and not just playing the board games, but winning the board games. Very competitive family, and, and we love our, our dominoes, but not just playing the game, but uh, setting them up and knocking them down, right? Anybody did that when they were younger? I had a season, yes, of doing that. It's oddly fascinating to set them up and knock them down. And uh, so I actually started looking on YouTube for some dominoes videos, and um, I, there's a whole world. I mean... Millions of people. There are, there are domino uh, uh, channels out there with over a million subscribers. It is insane. I spent two and a half hours <laughs> mesmerized by what I saw. So I'm just going to show you two hours of it. So let's take a look. It's actually a minute. So the, the person who put all this together is about 15 years old. She has a million subscribers. It is absolutely fascinating the, the things that she does. And it is mesmerizing to, to just think about the intricacy of putting all that together and to know that any little mistake can just create a total disaster, right? It's just this very pure cause and effect. Not a single one of you are looking at me right now, what? Because it is so incredible to look at that. Now, I actually watched a video that was 22 minutes long, one million dominoes fell. One million dominoes, 22 minutes. And I thought to myself, could we show that entire 22 minute video here at church and get away with it? And the answer is 100% yes. It's the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. All the tricks in there were super incredible and you'd leave here going, that was the most incredible church service of my life. We could totally do it. Why are we talking about dominoes? Because that first domino impacts everything else. The first domino impacts everything else. And in life, the first domino is what we believe about God. What we believe about God defines everything. It defines who we are. It defines our relationship with God. It defines our values. It defines our purpose in life. And it defines every single relationship we have. If we believe God is angry, if we believe God is full of judgment and criticism, eager to just curse us with every failure, 
uh, this looming threat of eternal damnation, if we believe God will only bless us when we're good, only give us eternal life if we're religious and devout, then we have a perspective of God that will taint everything else. The first domino to fall is what we believe about God. And most people believe this, that we are valued, accepted, and loved only when we perform well. That's the religious mentality. That's the mentality of the couple that shared their story. It's the mentality of, uh, of most of us of, as we've been raised in religious environments, any religious environment. It's the same thing. You're only valued, accepted, and loved only when you perform well. This is the view of every religion on earth. It is what is peddled. What is peddled is laws and rules and regulations and expectations. And if we meet those expectations, God or the gods will bless us. If we don't, God or the gods will curse us. Every religion on earth is the same way. Jesus came to offer something entirely unexpected. Jesus offered something brand new. Jesus offered a worldview that was totally different than anything that had ever been heard in human history. And it is simply this, that God is unexpectedly gracious. Nobody expects grace from God. God is the divine. He's the sovereign. He's the creator. People expect power from God and judgment from God. They don't expect grace. Jesus came to offer unexpected grace from God. Now, every week during this Unexpected series, we're going to do something unexpected together. So here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, over a thousand people have done this already. Take out your phone. It won't hurt. Take out your phone. You're going to send a text. You're going to send a text to me. I'm going to give you my, my text number. Are you ready? So get ready to send a text to 619-375-3113. 619-375-3113. And here's what you're going to text. You're going to text me why you have felt God was disappointed in you. This is anonymous. I'm not going to see your name. Um, and don't give me any gory details. But I'm going to read this. So, you know, kind of be as vague as you want to be. Send me a text why you have felt God was disappointed with you and send it right now. I said send it right now. All right. God has forgiven me, but I still do what is wrong. Uh, I wasn't patient with my father-in-law. I'm not good enough. I have an upbringing that was judgmental. My parents loved me with conditions. I had an abortion when I was 21, separated from church. I'm not a strong spiritual leader. I mean, they're coming in by the dozens and by the hundreds. I don't walk with him daily. I don't study his word enough. I don't have a, a discipline of prayer. I do the same sins over and over again. I failed my sister. I'm not a good, I'm not a good son. I feel insignificant, unworthy. Um, I'm not leading my family the way I know I should. They go on and on. Not reading my Bible, not honoring my wife, committed adultery. I fail. I mean, this is normal. This is normal life. And all of us have this on a hair trigger. I mean, this, this has been happening all morning. As soon as they say send, here they come, by the dozens and by the hundreds. We all have this sense right there in the front of our soul, in the front of our minds, why we failed God and why God is disappointed with us. This is true of every person on the face of the earth. This sense that we are disappointing God, that we knew, need to do better. Here's the reality. If we think God is disappointed with us because of our failure, the rest of our life will be defined by performance-driven conditional love. That's why what we believe about God is so important. It's the first domino to fall. What we believe about him impacts everything. And if we believe God is disappointed with us because of our failure, we will then experience an entire life of being performance-driven. I have to do more. To be loved, I have to do more. I have to be better, more devout, more religious, more obedient. 
I've got to comply. I've got to conform. And if I do that, maybe God will bless and maybe God will give me eternal life. It, it, it dictates everything. So now we have an entirely performance-driven worldview, and that spills over to our marriages. It spills over to our kids, with our friends, with our neighbors, how we serve, why we serve. Our very purpose in life is all dictated by what we believe about God. How do we get to this point? How do we get to the point where literally everybody on earth believes at some point that God is disappointed with him? Well, it starts when we're very young. It starts in childhood. Here's a prayer that I said a lot as a child. I don't know why I said this prayer as a child, but apparently it was very popular. Hope it's not too popular these days. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Okay, so far. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. This is said by children, little kids. I, mean, I remember growing up saying this prayer, going to bed terrified that I might die, and if I die, maybe God will take my soul, but maybe not. And I know that as a kid, sometimes I'm a bad kid, right? Rules are meant to be broken. <laughs> so I have broken some rules. If I die before I wake, God will not take my soul. I mean, I went to sleep as a kid with fear because of that prayer. We've got to be careful with what we tell our children. I mean, some of these nursery rhymes, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub. We've got to be careful. <laughs> There's also uh, child evangelism. Back in my day, 80s and 90s, uh, the dark ages of the church, uh, child evangelism was a big deal. Now, the goal of child evangelism was noble, I suppose, you know, get kids to heaven. Um, I'm not quite sure they were at risk to begin with, but let's just assume that there's a noble cause to get kids to heaven, right? It's the method that bugs me. So you'd bring a bunch of kids into a room, and you'd have a child evangelist tell them that because of their sin, they are destined to eternal hell. These are kids. And then if they said the sinner's prayer to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they would escape hell and go to heaven, and by the simple raising of their hands, they could go to heaven. If there's 100 kids in that room, how many kids raise their hand? 104. I mean, they do it multiple times, right? And they'd be crying, some of them crying, terrified that they might burn in hell forever. And if they said that sinner's prayer, raise their hands, they would now go to heaven. I have a little rule that I've adopted a while back, and I'd like you to consider adopting it yourself. You might want to write this down. Don't scare children with death and torture. It's just a suggestion. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to avoid this, but I'm just going to encourage you, don't scare children with death and torture. We do this in church, at least have, normally. Sunday school curriculum doesn't help. Sunday school was developed in the early 1800s. The public schools were going away from moral instruction and going to academic instruction. And so the church stepped up, no problem with that, church stepped up and said, we'll take care of the moral instruction. The problem is, it was all moral instruction. In other words, here are the rules, here are the commandments, here's what God wants from you. If you obey God, he'll bless you. If you disobey God, he won't. And so if you want to unlock God's blessing, you have to comply and conform with the rules. It was strict moral training. Now, when you do strict moral training with, with young people, it can be very unhealthy, Right? Because they begin to believe that if they comply with the rules, if they perform, then they're going to be blessed. But if they don't, they're going to be cursed. This was Sunday school curriculum. All the way through, by the way, the 20th century. So 200 years of Sunday school curriculum is about moralism, rules and regulations, telling stories about what God wants and telling kids you have to comply, you have to obey. 
It wasn't until the turn of the 21st century that gospel-centered, grace-based Sunday school curriculum started to be developed. We had to write our own Sunday school here for two decades because there was nothing out there. Literally, we scanned the universe in every language, every solar system. We couldn't find gospel-driven, grace-based children's curriculum. We had to develop it. It took a ton of time because we will not raise our kids in a moralistic environment of conditional love. We will not do that. See, teaching kids that God will love them or bless them only when they are good is extraordinarily damaging. It sets up a whole paradigm, a whole worldview of conditional love. Now, there's a tendency to do this as parents as well. Keep in mind the goal of parenting, and let's just all admit it, right? The high water mark of parenting is when somebody tells you, your kids are such good kids. I mean, that's like, oh, yes. Yes, they are, aren't they? And it's because of me. I'm a good parent. I mean, parenting, the peak is when somebody tells you your kids are good kids. Yes, that's so right. And it validates that we're good people because our kids are good kids. Now, in order to get to the point where our kids are good kids, very often we drill down moralism. Here are the rules. You have to obey the rules. It's, it's systems of punishment. Now, listen, I'm all for discipline, right? Uh, appropriate discipline, loving discipline, grace-based discipline towards making you know, decent human beings. I'm all for raising decent human beings. But sometimes it gets moralistic. It will treat kids well when they're obedient, when they meet our expectations, when they do well in school, when they do well in athletics, when they abide by the rules. But when they don't abide by the rules, when they fail, then we can get harsh, we can get mean, and things can come out of our mouth, and we can yell and scream at them, right? What are we doing? We're setting up an environment of conditional love. We will bless you when you're good, but we will curse you, sometimes literally curse at you when you're bad. We've got to be very careful with that. All of this works together to create a moralistic environment of conditional love. Let's look at how Jesus handled the children, right? Jesus was a very magnetic figure. So people would come from him, adults, kids. When kids came to Jesus, the, the adults, the very learned adults would say, no, you got to stay away from Jesus. Uh, he's too important for you, children. Jesus rebuked the adults, let the kids come to me. He says, the kingdom of heaven is for kids, you know, and, and people like children. And so, and so the kids came to him, and here's how Jesus related with them. Mark 10, 16. He took the children in his arms placed his hands on them and blessed them. He played with the kids, took them in his arms, blessed them. So there's like this playing with children and then there's this placing hands and the placing hands in Hebrew culture is a blessing. I pray a blessing on you children. That's God's heart for kids, play and bless. I mean, how cool is that? Now I'm gonna show you some of this next slide. Probably the most important thing you'll hear in 2018. And we're doing it right out of the gate. First Sunday of 2018, right? Just getting it over with. Here it is. Jesus valued children and was more concerned with blessing them than being blessed by them. This is revolutionary. You might not have caught it first, but this is revolutionary. I'm going to read it again. Jesus valued children and was more concerned with blessing them than being blessed by them. Now let's compare that with, say, Sunday school curriculum. Sunday school curriculum very often is about how to get children to comply with the rules so God will be happy with them. You want God to be happy with you? Obey him. We are training children how to bless God. Let me be clear. God doesn't need to be blessed. God does not need to be blessed. A lot of times we think God is this frumpy, you know, being up there and he's just pouty and petulant and I need to be blessed. I'm upset. You're doing all kinds of bad things. And Ooh, this person is good. Ooh. Nice, let's bring blessing because they were good. 
God is not insecure. He's not petulant. He doesn't need to be blessed. God is fine, all right? Can we just realize that? God's fine. He doesn't need to be blessed. He's not pouty and angry, right? God is more interested in blessing than he is in being blessed. That's how Jesus related with the children. And so we want to teach the children, listen, you are a blessing to God just because you're alive. He made you in his image, and God wants to bless you. He wants you to know how much he loves you, how much he cared for you. The gospel is the message of how much God unconditionally loves us and cares for us. We just want children to know they're loved. We want children to know they're loved unconditionally. And if kids can receive unconditional love from God, and if we as parents can do our darndest to unconditionally love our kids, they're gonna be raised in an environment of love. And in that environment of love, they're gonna be guided towards a life of love. And that's really what it's all about, right? Life is less about complying with rules and more about being loved and loving others. Jesus was more interested in blessing the kids than being blessed by kids. And this just isn't about children. This is about life. God wants to bless us. He wants us to know how much he loves us. That's his goal, for us to know how much he loves us, not for us to comply with all the religious rules. So this is really the dysfunction of being raised in religious environments. It is all about conditional love. But it doesn't get any better when we are in our youth. Uh, In the dark ages of the church, the 1980s and 90s, you might have seen this image a lot. Does that look familiar to some of you guys who are about my age, you know, 40s, 50s? You might have seen these in tracks, seen this in youth group. It is nothing but a giant threat. God is a huge, ominous, faceless threat. And he's about the rules. And Judgment Day was a serious deal. I mean, this was the threat back in the, in the 80s and 90s. That you're gonna be in that line when you die. You're gonna be in that line, oh boy. Line of millions of people. When it's your turn, you're gonna get up there and there's gonna be this big screen and this big screen is gonna show everything you've ever done, every sin you've ever committed before the entire humanity, right? Oh, no, not that one. Oh, he caught that one on camera. And I mean, and then based on what you've done, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to eternal hell? And there's this big book of life and God's going to be looking at the pages. Hmm, I don't see you. How do you spell that last name again? All fear, all threats, all about moralism, all awful. Awful, awful, awful. This is how we raise up our kids. And in youth group, of course, you know, they're getting to become... um, you know, teenagers, adolescents, and so what do you have to do? You have to clamp down because they're going to start doing some things that are naughty, and we can't have Christian kids doing things that are naughty. And so in youth group, we're going to talk about sex a lot, and we're going to scare kids into not having sex. And so we'll talk about sexually transmitted diseases, and we'll talk about all the terrible things that come with sex, right? And I'm telling you back again, in my day, AIDS was the greatest gift to youth pastors you could possibly imagine. Because youth pastors could say, hey, if you have sex, you're going to get that AIDS. I'm not kidding you. This was my youth group experience and totally normal. And it still happens today. And we threaten people with all kinds of things, and especially the judgment and wrath of God. And so we have these purity commitments and purity rings and purity covenants and all these performance-driven exercises to get youth committed to not doing bad things. And of course, it's not just sexuality. It's the don'ts of alcohol, drugs, smoking, cussing, bad music, bad movies, bad friends. Get rid of it all, right? Just purge it all. Back in my day, we had massive cassette burning parties. People would bring their secular music to cassette burning parties. And then two weeks later, you buy them again. These burnings were the greatest thing for the record industry back when you bought music. Um, There's just this constant cycle of commitment and failure. Commitment and failure. And so what does that do? It just ingrains this reality 
that God's disappointed with you. I keep making commitments, I keep failing. And then, of course, you've got to make the commitments to not only get rid of all this stuff, but you've got to make the commitments to be holy and to be religious, like going to church, reading your Bible, and praying. And there's these systems about daily disciplines and daily devotions and Bible reading. It is January 8th, right? So God bless those of you who are through Genesis 8 right now in your Bible reading program. Good job. Keep it up. But it's about commitments and failures. And that's the entire cycle of religious life. And so we are heaped with guilt, even in our youth. What's the biblical vision of youth? The biblical vision for young people is not to comply and to be shoved into moral boxes. The biblical vision of youth is actually very exciting. God says in Acts chapter 2, he's pouring out his Holy Spirit on the earth, right? I'm pouring out my spirit on all people. Now, what are the details? Your sons and daughters will, the word is prophesy, which means boldly speak God's heart. This is God's vision for youth, that young people will boldly speak God's heart. They will know the cause of Christ, and they will have visions. They will see visions of how God can use them to impact this world for the cause of Christ, to change this world so that it looks a little more like the kingdom of heaven, to have the ministry and the priorities of Jesus Christ to help people in need and bring justice and mercy to the earth, to have young people see that so powerfully. While church is cramming children and youth in these morally compliant boxes, God wants to see us thriving and growing and stretching ourselves and learning and engaging this wonderful, beautiful world with the cause of Christ and loving people and making a little bit of a difference. It's really an exciting vision God has for children and youth. But is moralism just confined to children's and youth ministry? The answer is no. When adults go to church, it tends to be the same thing, right? We go to church and expect the same old thing. Now, I'm gonna give you the sermon outline for just about every sermon ever preached. You ready? Here it is. Not that hard. Here's what you should do. You're not doing it. So do it. That's church. That's the expectation of church. Pastor's gonna tell you what you should do and it's gonna be something good and something cool and noble and yeah, okay, I probably should be doing that. And yeah, I'm really not doing that. Okay, I'm, let's make a commitment. Let's do it. Whether it's church attendance, Bible reading, I mean, a lot of the, the, the texts that came in earlier are, are, are basically saying God's disappointed with me because I'm not going to church enough, I'm not reading enough, I'm not praying enough, I'm not doing enough of the church disciplines, right? God must be disappointed with me. This is just normal standard fare, right? But Jesus came to bring something entirely different, entirely different. And so we have this billboard out there, and um, every new year we put a, a billboard out there that wants to invite people who might want to come to church for the new year to, uh, to join us. And we had a lot of different ideas about this billboard. And, and as we normally do, we pass those ideas around to staff and some volunteers. And, and here's what we landed on. Maybe God isn't disappointed in you. We had a safer version of the Unexpected series. And I said, yeah, okay, that's good. But when people read this, their eyes, every one of them, I watched their face, their eyebrows went up. They're like, yeah, wow. That's, a, that's, a, that's real. I need to be reminded of that. It's kind of a stunning statement that God isn't disappointed with us. It's a stunning statement. We're so programmed for religion and so programmed that God is disappointed with us. To see that is kind of stunning. And then to a man and to a woman, they said to us, you're going to get some flack for that. Which completely sealed the deal. We're putting it up. <laughs> because the gospel is offensive. Scripture says so. The gospel is a stumbling block. We don't have time to get into the passage, but it's very clear that there's the Greeks and the Jews, and the Greeks like their philosophies, and the gospel is a stumbling block because it's, 
It's really this access to God, not through the rigor of the intellect and problem solving, but a relationship with God. And then the Hebrews don't like the gospel because it's all about the law. We've got to obey the law. If we obey the law, then we're going to be blessed by God. Neither the Hebrews nor the Greeks like the gospel. It's a stumbling block because it's a very simple truth. God loves us. God's forgiven us. God has done absolutely everything necessary to bring you in a right relationship with him and it has nothing to do with you. Nothing. It's almost this unbelievable thing. Jesus told a story about this. It's a very famous story. We'll just summarize it real quickly. It's the prodigal son, right? Very, very famous story. He gives an example of two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The younger son gathered his inheritance together He set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. We're talking about blowing his money with gambling and prostitutes, right? Now, Jesus is is sharing this with a Hebrew audience. This is a strict religious Hebrew audience. The worst thing you can do in an ancient Near Eastern culture is dishonor the name of your father. That'd be the worst thing imaginable. So here's this son, takes his inheritance, half of his father's wealth, blows it on the most incredible sin, right? And he's saying this to a Hebrew audience. The Hebrew audience expects something very clear, expects judgment. The worst thing imaginable, this son did the worst thing imaginable, uh, disrespected his father, blew his father's you know, hardworking resources, brought dishonor to his name. This son deserves wrath. And I'm telling you, the ancient Near Eastern culture had ways of bringing wrath upon the disobedient. Horrific things. The Hebrews hearing the story would, would expect judgment. What did Jesus bring? Grace. This younger son blows it all, right? Blew all of his money, gambling, prostitution, video games, the whole deal, just a mess. He comes to the end of his rope and he says, I need to go back to my father. I don't deserve to be a son, I'm just gonna be a slave. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. This is the heart of God now towards us. Filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Jesus says that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. And it's a, it's a new first domino, right? If we were to set up the dominoes into two rows here, we have two rows. And, and these are two different ways of perceiving God and two different ways of living, right? You have one first domino that is that God is a harsh judge and and what he wants is our obedience. He wants our compliance, conditionally loving us. That life is a life that is very harsh. Our relationship with God is harsh. He's disappointed with us. He needs more. That conditional love spills spills over to family and to friends and to serving the community. Jesus offered a brand new first domino. Believe that God is unconditionally loving. Believe that God is unconditionally gracious. Even for the worst of the sinners, this, this, this lost son that defamed his father's name, squandered his father's wealth, he left the father, but the father never left the son. The heart of God never leaves us no matter what we do. That is a new first domino. And that life is a life of unconditional love. That life, the more we we understand God's love, the more we can live out God's love. That is the eternal life that Jesus offers. And he proved God's love by his life. At, At great personal cost, he shared a message of unconditional love, a message of unconditional grace. And that's how he lived his life. And then he gave his life on a cross for that message. 
And on that cross, he took the suffering of the world, the sin of the world, the failure of the world upon himself and died for it and paid the consequence for it. And when he was on the cross, he said, it is what? Finished. He paid in full for the failure and the sin of the world. He paid for it in full. He rose again from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, and bringing us into a right relationship with God. He did it all. He does not need our religion. He does not need our compliance. He does not need our obedience. He does not need our law keeping. He does not need our religious devotion. He doesn't need our hardcore commitment. He needs none of it. God wants to bless us with his love. He's less concerned about being blessed and more concerned with blessing. And the more we realize we are blessed by God and the more we realize his unconditional love, the more we will live and the more we will thrive. And the more we will live according to his design. His design is real simple. Uh, Love God, love others. It's really that simple. We can't love God and love others if we don't first know how much he loves us. And religious people have no idea how much God loves us because they think they need to earn it and they don't. None of us do. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 is very simple. We'll close with this. God saved us, really simple. God saved us, we don't save ourselves, and called us to live a holy life, this life of love that Jesus envisioned. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his purpose and his grace. This grace, get this, was given to us, freely given to us in Christ before the foundation of the world, before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God saved us and gave us forgiving grace, not based on anything we've done. When did he give that to us? Before the beginning of time. We couldn't do anything before the beginning of time, but he gave grace to us before the beginning of time. It's all about his work. It has nothing to do with us. We just receive it. We just receive it. Whenever we talk about God's grace, and we do every once in a while around here, this question is inevitably asked. Isn't grace just an easy, feel-good message? I get this criticism all the time, every day, all day. Isn't grace just an easy, feel-good message? And the answer is yes. (laughs) It's an easy one. Yes, it's an easy, feel-good message. It's called the gospel, which means good news. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 11, 30, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Following Jesus is easy and light. If following Jesus is hard for anybody, it's because they're trapped in the darkness of religion trying to satisfy God. It is a horrible way of life. Following Christ is easy and light. Why? Because Jesus did all the work. And I'm telling you, it is so wonderful to be loved by God in that way. And yes, it feels good, right? It feels good. We're forgiven freely by God's grace through Jesus Christ. Absolutely, that feels good. I'm not gonna apologize for it. We get to enjoy an unbreakable relationship with God by his grace. Nothing I can do can separate myself from God's love, nor you. And that feels pretty good. We're loved unconditionally by God. We are accepted by God as we are where we are. And yes, that feels good. It is an easy and feel good message. And I'm not gonna apologize for that. It is the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. If we can turn from religion and turn towards grace, life begins. And we get to walk an entire lifestyle of loving others in the same way. It is really what the Bible calls a life of inexpressible and glorious joy. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love, your grace, your unconditional mercy shown to us through Jesus Christ.
It is so refreshing. It is so life-giving. It is so unexpected. And God, there's a whole world out there that has been raised in religious environments and thinks with a religious paradigm, believing you are angry and disappointed and believing that they are under judgment and condemnation. God, Jesus came to deliver something entirely new and entirely unexpected, that you're a heavenly father and you love us the way any of us would want to love our own children. You love us unconditionally. And you want to show us grace and care, concern, whether we do well or whether we fail. You're a heavenly father who's forgiven us in Jesus Christ even before the beginning of time. So God, help us to understand that. Help us to believe that it is so difficult. It is a stumbling block. The gospel of grace is a stumbling block. People just can't believe it. It is so difficult to believe that you give us all of this without condition, freely, nothing to do with us. But God, once we receive that, everything changes. We know what it's like to be unconditionally loved and you give us the power to unconditionally love others. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. We receive that today. And God, it's my hope and prayer that some might even receive that right here and now for the very first time and begin to walk that journey of freedom and grace and love now and forever. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.